I'm Nana Fontelberg for Biz News, and joining me today is Paul Van Sale, the co-founder of The Conduit, which is, I'm going to describe it as a private members club situated in London's Covent Garden that brings together people who are interested in social change. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Biz News. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, South Africans may be more familiar with you. I mean, when I saw your face, I immediately knew who you were. When you served as the Executive Secretary of the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission under the wonderful Archbishop Desmond Tutu. So before we talk about the conduit, take us on your path from the TRC to now in London. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in South Africa in the 1980s and I went to university at a time when, you know, it's difficult to remember when, you know, apartheid was still in full force and people were being arrested and assassinated and tortured and disappeared. And I, I joined the student movement and started working on a campaign to abolish the death penalty and uh, get people off death row. Uh, and one of the lawyers, Becky Mlangeni, who I had the great privilege of working with, was assassinated by a hit squad and uh, then started working with his mother in order to pursue truth and justice and was uh, involved in helping to support the setup of the Kulamani support group. Uh, uh, and then, you know, that led to 3,000 uh, uh, victims across the country gathering together in church basements and in community halls demanding to know what happened to their loved ones, um, which then led to the establishment of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And um, uh, because of my work uh, in this space, um, I had the great fortune of being appointed the Executive Secretary. So I sat on the commission uh, together with the other commissioners and obviously had an enormous amount of uh, time spent with Archbishop Tutu. And you know, participate in a process of having our nation look back, uh, interrogate the past, establish what happened, acknowledge the pain and suffering, but hopefully allow us also to to move on, having clarified who did what to whom and 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 the nature of the the crime of apartheid and the crimes that occurred under apartheid. Well, you also co-founded an ethical luxury fashion brand. Yes. Uh, you know, um, I uh, when the when the Truth Commission was over, I co-founded a, a, a global NGO called the International Center for Transitional Justice. We worked in thirty countries around the world, helping governments and civil society organizations develop policies to deal with the legacy of mass atrocity. I did that for a number of years, and then was chosen as a young global leader and started going to Davos and won the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship and spoke at TED and at the Aspen Ideas Festival. And I suddenly got introduced to the world of social entrepreneurs, uh, people who were trying to build um, businesses that had a double bottom line that were also trying to achieve a positive social outcome. Uh, and so for my sins established a, an ethical fashion brand uh, and uh, and learned everything you need to learn about about fashion and business in that particular space, and that then really led me on to the conduit because I began to understand that if you want to birth and create and be an entrepreneur and try and build a business, but also achieve positive social outcomes, um, you need a whole ecosystem of support. You need 
capital, you need staff, you need supply chain help, you need marketing help, you need board members, you need impact measurement. And, you know, this amazing notion of Ubuntu taught to us by Mandela and Tutu, um, I am because we are, and the sense that we live in an interconnected world where we have obligations towards each other and we try and support each other uh, and we recognize the humanity in each other, that's really what entrepreneurs need. They need Ubuntu. They need this network to be able to succeed because you know building things is hard. It's easy to be, devi- be divisive and to destroy things. Building is harder. Um, and so the idea of the conduit was really based on this idea of let's build a home. So we have a 20,000 square foot building in the middle of Covent Garden. And let's gather together people who are investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, activists, and let's provide 200 talks a year so that we focus on solutions, not on the problems. And then let's provide capital so that people can fund those businesses and grow those businesses. And then let's wrap around humanity around those businesses so that when you hit a rough patch or you need a problem solved or you need an intro or you need to rely on a network, you have that network around you. And that's, in essence, what we try and do at The Conduit. Well, is that a unique concept? I mean, I've not heard something like that before. Well, you know, uh, there are elements of what we do in different things. So you have incubators and accelerators do a little bit of what we do. You have private members clubs like Soho House. They do a little bit of what we do. You have ideas festivals like TED, which give you inspirational talks focusing on solutions, which do a little bit of what you do. You have digital academies like Coursera or Masterclass, which teach people you know, how to do things. Um, but we try and do that all in one go in a building. Uh, you know, we have 3,000 members and we have six floors. And uh, you know, if you open up the podcast studio that I'm in right now inside the conduit and looked out the door, there are hundreds of people, you know, in the building all working and networking and and getting together. So there's a very strong community of people doing these activities. And we work on climate and sustainability and racial and social equity and economic empowerment and health and wellness and um, democracy, peace, and human rights, and um, skills, learning, and education. So we take the different areas that we work in and deliver content around that and then gather people around those particular issues. Sure. It sounds such, such an interesting concept. Um, so can you tell us about some of your notable speakers that you've had? I've seen Milan there. Yeah, we've had you know about a dozen Nobel Prize winners come to speak um, you know, Malala was one of my highlights, um, you know, remarkable woman, um, you know, survived an assassination attempt and has gone on to become a global advocate for girls' education. Maria Ressa, um, a Filipina activist, a newsmaker, journalist and editor who has been a real um, pioneer in the, in the space for freedom of speech. Esther DeFlo, who won the Nobel Prize for Economics, and her book, Poor Economics, is one of the leading exemplars of how you study, how you, how you achieve social equity and economic empowerment for the poorest of the poor at the bottom of the pyramid by, by actually listening to them, not sitting in Washington or New York or Paris and telling people what they need, but actually getting down 
um, on the ground with people and listening to what they need and then doing randomized controlled trials to actually figure out what interventions work and what don't work and then retooling economic policy to cater to the needs of of the poor. Christian Amanpour, the kind of legendary CNN anchor, um, has has spoken on a range of our talks. Um, so um, James Comey, the FBI director who, uh, uh, you know, was had a controversial tenure at the head of the FBI and in in America um, had uh, tonight Julia Gillard, the former Australian Prime Minister, who's been a real um, chair of the Wellcome Trust, one of the largest philanthropies in the world, but also uh, a, a leading advocate for women's rights. So um, you know we we have a, a really interesting melange of uh, of people, but our, our our kind of golden thread is you can't come to the conduit and lament the problems that the world has because they're many and you could give a very, very long talk. What you have to focus on is frame the problem and then focus on how you do something about it and what the solutions are. And um, you've got 3,000 members, some big names in there. Were you allowed to say who they are? Yeah, I mean, we have, um, you know, the leading philanthropists in the United Kingdom um, the heads of the major foundations, the CEOs of the biggest businesses, um, the heads of the major human rights organizations, the um, chancellors of important universities and academic departments working on you know, thinking through some of the most difficult problems, and then hundreds of entrepreneurs who are building out um, businesses on a daily basis. So it's a it's this really wonderful blend. It's not just the the successful and the famous, but it's also you know young people and activists and researchers and um, entrepreneurs and and that blend I think is what makes it interesting um, and some of the most fascinating conversations. I've just walked out of a conversation with Peter Maurer, who is the head of the International Committee on the Red Cross, former Swiss Foreign Minister. Um, mm. And in the room was the head of sustainable finance for Barclays, the head of public policy for Meta, uh, head of learning for Google, uh, one of the most important sort of people at Julius Baer, the um, Swiss bank, the <laughs> head of sustainability at DLA Piper, a global law firm, the head of human rights watch in the UK. So it's a yep. group of people and everybody's talking about humanitarian engineering how you mobilize capital into the most fragile frontier markets in order to shore up their economic base, create small businesses, address immediate economic uh, needs, but do so in a way that supports economic growth, isn't just an aid and a welfare model, but actually creates dynamic um, economies in the heart of, uh, in the heart of these communities. So is Conduit also a business incubator? Absolutely. Um, so we have a sister business called Conduit Connect, mm -hmm. um, and it has um, raised, our members have invested about 25 million pounds in a, a series of startup businesses. Oh. Those businesses have gone on to raise over 600 million pounds. And we always say that, you know, it's not just capital and money that makes a business survive. It's its business plan, it's people, it's execution strategy. And so we try and 
wrap help around those businesses to whom investment is directed. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I think makes it disproportionately successful. It's, it's capital plus community plus connections, um, which I think help businesses grow. Why are you planning to take this concept further? I know you've just opened another branch in Oslo. We have, yes. We opened in Oslo. We're very, very excited. It's uh, Norway is really an exceptional country. You know, punches way above its weight. Um, you know, just under 6 million people live in Norway, but uh, has the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, um, plays an important role where the Nobel Peace Prize is announced in Oslo. It plays an important role in conflict resolution. It's uh, directing an enormous amount of capital towards sustainability and towards human rights. It's a startup nation. It's one of the highest levels of trust between citizens exists between Norwegians. So it's a very interesting place, and it's a kind of place where you would think a concept like this would take root and would succeed. And we've had uh, a, a lot of early success and uptake and enthusiasm for Conduit Oslo. But we're also looking at um, New York and Geneva and Copenhagen um, and Singapore. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're, we're sort of slowly thinking about where this could be rolled out around the world. So is it all, always in a building or are you going digital as well? We always do it in a building, but we have just, and this is a really good question, launched um, an academy which takes the content that happens. So we do about 200 talks a year in London, 200 talks a year in Oslo, and then we record those talks, just like the conversation you and I are having. Yeah. And then we package them up um, and deliver them to members and people outside of the community so that they are able to avail themselves of the content and the solutions that um, are articulated by the really amazing speakers who come. Um, can we talk about leadership? Because, well, you see, you've just mentioned a load of leaders that you see on a daily basis, it seems. So you said in an article after Archbishop Desmond to passing that the world is short of decent leadership and it needs to do some failing moral compass more than ever. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, if you look at the world today, we have a, a climate crisis, we have an economic crisis, we are, you know, we, our, our economies are more maldistributed and unequal than they've ever been. And the ladders of social mobility and many economies are, are being broken. We're not moving from a generation of poverty to a generation of wealth. We have a debt crisis. We've come out of a pandemic. We have great power conflict reemerging. Uh, we have polarization. We have huge amounts of displacement and migration and people moving across borders. Um, we have a declining faith in democracy. You can get very depressed if you look at the world that we live in. Um, and then there are a set of quite encouraging countervailing trends. You know, we have a golden age of entrepreneurship. We're doing the most remarkable innovation that we've ever done in human history. AI, if it doesn't, you know, kill us is almost certainly going to save us. Um, there is um, an enormous amount of wealth being created in new industries, you know, electric vehicles, solar, wind, new forms of food, batteries, smart grids, molecular biology, material science. Um, you have this um, 
flow of capital into the space that is fueling these new, incredibly interesting industries. Young people are more mobilized than they've ever been around um, climate and about injustice. And so you have this demographic wind in our sails pushing us to address these issues more urgently than ever. And if the good forces, if you think of the bad forces as the horsemen of the apocalypse, and if you think of the good forces, these kind of benevolent set of genies in a bottle, if the genies are going to win, then you need good leaders. And those leaders have got to steer us through choppy waters, help us navigate trade-offs, have an unerring moral compass, and lead us towards things without being distracted by the partisanship and the divisiveness and the racism and the cheap shots that you see uh, in so much of our politics today. Um, and so I think, you know, Tutu had that, Mandela had that. And if you cast your eyes around the leaders uh, who are in prominent positions in the world today, those are in short supply. Um, and uh, we need to get those people into positions of power, both in corporate life and in political life, as quickly as possible, because um, we don't have them, it's going to be much harder. Do you have any comment on leadership in South Africa? Um, I think that South Africa is a country that has, you know, boundless potential. And we have a, a tragic, painful legacy. Uh, we have a system that was a crime against humanity and we're you know, a couple decades out of that system. And we were blessed by really extraordinary leadership during our transition. And then you know, we, you know, we scored an own goal. We you know, gave ourselves kleptocrats who pillaged and plundered the state and who dismantled not just the institutions that we all rely on, but kind of corroded a sense of civic trust and a sense that government was an institution that wouldn't solve all of our problems, but would be at least a constructive force in trying to address those problems. And I think that we, we desperately need a set of competent, uh, technocratically empowered, honest leaders who level with people who describe problems as they are, and who are not going to play politics with trying to address the really very substantial problems that our country you know, has inherited and must overcome, but also realizes what our incredible assets are and, and harnesses those assets and plays to our strength. Um, and I'm still a, you know, a huge South African optimist, but I think you know, we would be dishonest if we said that we hadn't um, you know, we were not responsible for self-inflicted wounds in, 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 in recent years. Do you see any rays of light there in South Africa in terms of leadership? Well, you know, it depends where you look for it, right? So we have incredible civil society re leaders. We have incredible sports figures. We have, um, you know, important uh, uh, figures in the media who, who, are, who keep us honest. We have important um figures in the judiciary and in our in our legal sector. Um, so um, we have some important business leaders who are showing the way. And, and you know, I think it's 
it's difficult to be super optimistic about the political realm, but you know, I also think we have to go through this period of having moved from an, a quintessentially evil system to a liberation moment where those responsible for our liberation then were quite appropriately at the helm of our, our country's leadership to a point where we dispense with those old dichotomies of leadership and those old dichotomies of politics that you don't rely on what you did 30 years ago to say that you um, are automatically entitled to govern the country going forward and that you're judged by the quality of your leadership and the quality of your delivery. And those old fault lines um, need to break down and we need to have new political um, formations based on ideas and about promises of delivery not about fiefdoms, not about patronage, not about who owes what to whom, um, not about a cheap allocation of resources amongst elites at the very top, but uh, an approach which seeks to genuinely empower people, particularly the most vulnerable. And um, you know, there's all the potential. You know, you would think our country is is set up to be able to. There's a huge space for that kind of politics. Um, and I think you know we we need to have the political maturity to get there. Um, and when we do, I would you know our people are remarkable people, so I'm confident that we'll excel. But um, we're I think you know it's, it's it's not a very bold statement to say we're not there yet. Well, what have you taken forward in your career from what you've witnessed working so closely with such a remarkable figure as Archbishop Desmond Tutu? I mean, I think I had two things from Tutu. One was this kind of, you know, it's always darkest before dawn. Even the most terrible, evil, tragic circumstances can lead to positive outcomes if you think about them in a systematic way and you apply, you know, courage and principles and morality to tackling problems. So Tutu was an optimist. He was a man with a wicked sense of humor. He didn't let humanity's faults get him down. He let humanity's benevolence and great great potential get him up, inspire him. Um, and so I think I've um I think it's very hard, uh, and I know you spend time in in Mandela's orbit. It's very hard not to have a formative moment of your life around people like Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela and not come away humbled by that but also not assimilating a little bit of their kind of adherence optimism and also trying to live up to the example. I mean, we'll never live up to the example because they're just heroic figures, but I think trying day by day to try and achieve the sorts of things that they achieved is um, and, sh and showing a kind of leadership that rises above pettiness and partisanship and thinks about the horizon, not the things that are immediately in front of you are things that they, you know, they they embodied and and taught everybody around. Paul von Sayada, I'm the co-founder and chief creative officer of the Conduit. Thanks so much for speaking to us. Thank you so much for having me.